Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is Frank B., continuing his discussion on dice control. And we'll be talking about some of the, what Vegas is like. Now, Richard and I are back in the studio for the first time in more than a year. Uh, things are different here because the room has been used for other things. And so it's going to take some getting used to, but... Um, the conditions here are better than what we had doing it from our homes. So hopefully you notice the difference. All right. Uh, Las Vegas is open. Uh, there's signs on most doors saying you have to wear a mask if you haven't been vaccinated, but you don't have to if you do, and they're not checking your cards. And so the bottom line is maybe 25% of the people are wearing masks, and the other 75 aren't which is a whole lot more non-mass mayors than people who are actually vaccinated. So, Frank, um, have you been out checking out things? What have been your experiences recently? Okay. First of all, nice to be live and in person for the first time in a real long time. <laughs> you know, get to yes. sit across the table from someone. Uh, yeah, I got, to, I got to Vegas about a week ago and has been staying in the hotels. And like Bob said... Um, the mask thing is basically um, voluntary. And I I put the number more, at least the places I was at, more like 50-50. There's still lots of people walking around with masks, especially those that are with families and stuff. They see the whole family wearing them. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was a, it was an, it's still an odd feeling. Like when you leave the room, you know how you used to leave the room and if you forgot, you know, you know be halfway down the hall, I forgot the mask. It's kind of weird to be walking down the hall into the elevator and you have no mask. It's, it's still getting used to it. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's, I guess it's just nice to be back in the casinos as far as uh, the condition of things in the casinos. You know, a lot's changed there. Um, all the plexiglasses down, all the... Not all of it. I've yeah. seen a few. Like, I've seen some craps tables, by the way, with uh, dividers still to, to more... Um, facilitate spacing, you know, distancing one guy, one from the next, I guess. But some of them are still up. And I still see some plexiglass on some machines at some places. So it's not completely down. But uh, a lot of bars, when you, you know, if you want to go sit at the bar and play, still some of those are not open, including especially like at restaurants. Like you go into some of the nicer restaurants and sometimes it's nice to sit at the bar and eat, you know, especially if you're alone. And um, no, no bar seating. At, at a number of places so uh yeah we're not back to normal with all that stuff yet but you know i guess they're heading in that direction okay my experience is it's like i i've been vaccinated and yet i still wear a mask in the casinos so i'm guessing that a lot of the people who do wear masks have indeed been vaccinated right. and well i think there's a correlation there right that that uh the people who don't believe in being vaccinated are the same people who don't believe in wearing a mask. So, right. Yes. Yeah, so, or, or many of them anyway. Yep. So there's an inverse correlation about the people who should be wearing a mask and the people who are wearing a mask. All right. Um, now you were mentioning before we got on the air about Caesars, Las Vegas, the now El Dorado. What did you find out there? Uh, Oh, now El Dorado. Okay. Um, well, you know, as, as, as one of the properties that I lean heavily on for when I travel, you know, it, it, it pay, definitely pays to be diamond or above or seven stars if you can get it. Um, they have really reduced the value of especially diamond um, across the board. Just about everything that they could cut that has to do with uh, like giving something a little extra or basically spending money, spending additional money on those players have been cut out. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard about the fact that uh, diamond lounges are now a thing of the past. Uh, what, what was it called now? Laurel Lounge? Laurel. Yeah. Um, those are gone in Nevada. For, definitely in southern Nevada. I don't know about northern Nevada. I'll be heading up there next week and give a look. But, uh, you know, they just did away with that entirely. I don't know how that affects other states. Uh, and this, all the other additional perks that used to come with uh, being diamond – most of them have gone by the wayside. There's no more uh, two show tickets a month. There are no more 
diamond check-ins, at least at the moment, you know, diamond check-in area. They have to devote extra people to do that. They're not up to doing that. In fact, uh, I've checked in and there wasn't even a diamond check-in line. So you had to get in line with everybody else. And um, so, you know, the value of it is Would that have been true for seven-star people too? Yeah. Yeah, there was no, there was no dedicated line for uh, anybody of a higher tier card. It was everybody getting in line and that was it. This was at the Rio. I don't know how it is at the, I haven't stayed at the other places yet. But yeah, uh, you know, that's taking a hit and I, and I, and I hear it's the, you know, similar stuff like at MGM and, um, you know, other properties where they tier the card. A lot of the good stuff has been cut out from those cards. All right. Uh, let's get back to dice. Uh, a few weeks ago we were on the show. Oh, wait. We, we also wanted to talk about this new policy with the change, uh, cashing out slot tickets. Yeah. Really annoying and, 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 and really gives you a, uh, uh, you know, a clear picture of what the casino's intention of doing if they can get away with it. Um, during COVID, there was this supposed coin shortage, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, I believe there was a coin shortage. Okay. Well... And then they, so they were asking you um, where in the past there would be machines in the casino where if you tried to give them coins, they charged you a premium. They, would, they were going to take their cut out of it. And then it turned into, oh, bring your coins in. No problem. You know, we need them. Um, but the majority, the vast majority of casinos are back to just giving you your change through the, through the ticket cashing machines. Um, but a couple properties uh, have not. And MGM is the biggest offender. Um, they encourage you to cash out at the kiosks, and when you do, um, let's say you cash out fifty dollars and forty cents, you're going to get your fifty dollars, and then the forty cents is, well, before you get, let's make a step back once, before you even get your fifty dollars and maybe forty cents, the machine will ask you, would you like to donate your money, like all of it, <laughs> to these various charities that we sponsor. And then it'll show you how much was donated either during the last day or in the last hour to the various ones. And it says, and there you have two choices. So, so now, now instead of just getting your money, you have to make a choice. And if you mess this up, like there's, there's two things to hit. One is, yes, I'd like to donate. And another is, no, give me my money. If you somehow hit the wrong button, there's a disclaimer that if you do that, you are not getting, sorry, nothing we can do about it. You just donated it. And it's, you know, it's, it's just not right that you have to like navigate that. Like if you're not paying attention, you're talking to your friend, you hit the wrong button. But oh, where did my money go? Oh, it went to the MGM toy, you know, uh, Toys for Tots charity or something, you know. And uh, so that's hurdle number one. And then the second is that when you ha- you get your fifty dollars and forty cents and rec- and say I want that, you only get fifty dollars. The remaining change comes in the form of a voucher, which you have to then trot over to the cage to get your change. But most people, I don't know about most people, a lot of people don't do that. They either leave it laying there or they put it in their pocket and never to be redeemed again. And, uh, you know, I think that they're counting on you doing that. And I think it's adding a significant amount to their bottom line. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, 40 cents here, 50 cents there, 80 cents there, but all day long, if the machine is kicking those out and a percentage, a good percentage of people are not redeeming them. They make very, uh, they're very careful to send uh, guys around periodically. When I mean periodically, like every 15 minutes to round the machines to clean up the loose ones. They don't want them laying around so that somebody gathers them up and goes in because that was a big thing early on. Guys, oh, look at this. Just gather them up and I can make, you know, whatever. You know, Three like, cents here, 14 or, or cents Or 97 there. cents. You know, I mean, you know, there's guys that, I mean, remember uh, silver mining? This is... <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> mean, yeah, there are guys who vulture a five cent Ultimate X. So, right. yeah, I'm sure this would be a, a Why wouldn't they pick 60 cents off the ground? you know, 20 times a day. So anyway, it, it's just real annoying that you have to, you know, go jump through all these tubes just to get all your money from them when I don't think it's necessary. So, uh, yep. Beware of that and be, be, uh, uh, be vigilant, cash out all your, cash out <laughs> all your change, make them, make them pay you at the cage. That'll teach them. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. Now we're going to get to dice. Now, when you were on a few weeks ago, you mentioned, um, your net was about 30,000 dollars and one of our listeners wanted to know was that 
winnings or comps or a combination or how was that? Okay, yeah. So that was, um, listen, we're talking over the course of almost a year of playing, like about nine months worth of playing, ramping up, you know, more towards the end of the year. Um, well, it was 30, it was, it was a realized uh, return of 30,000. Now, the distribution, whether how much came from uh, just straight play in the table or in how much was converted, like free play or free chips, which it, on the back end started to be a decent amount. Say, but about at least two thirds of it was uh, just winning at the table. I but would it, say. it was cash value, not uh, meals yeah, and right. hotel rooms and things like that. One of the things I wanted to ask last time that I forgot was how many hours of practice did I mean? I'm sure you logged them, right? Like how many hours of practice did you actually put in before you went out and started playing? Oh, before we start going playing for real, well. What we started doing is we would go out and experiment, and definitely we were out scouting tables relatively early on. So um, how much practice before start risking, like, reasonable money? We definitely had a good five-figure sample size in on the throws. I think it was right about there. That probably was about – so if you divide it, if it's 200 throws an hour and 10,000 throws, so that's five, maybe 50 hours of throwing – you know? Oh, so much less than what I was expecting. Well, I mean, you know, at the start, at the yeah, stand, just but, to, just to get out there and say, okay, we're gonna you know stand stick left and do this and see how this goes, and on, you know, you figure all these things out. Hey, I need you down at the other end to block the because some people are real sloppy about the way they put their chips, and they're gonna stand right where you're throwing and put all their chips, including the odds bets, right where you want to throw the dice. So we would put a guy down there most times, and he would make sure that that was a clear area. Things like that that you had to figure out and just generally scouting the tables. And we got out there with, you know, probably the second month you're out there throwing. But you kept practicing as you were playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Practicing was early in the day, and the playing out in the casino was later in the day and in the early evening. And how much did your results deteriorate during let's say a two-hour play would it be as good at the end of two hours as it was at the start yeah well that that was all part of the learning process is that you know things don't go as smoothly and efficiently in the casino you know just like when you play blackjack on your kitchen table when you're learning oh wow look at this let me hands an hour i can kick out there's no distractions you know i can bet whatever i want um yeah and all that starts to deteriorate as you say you know when you get in there sometimes you get at a table and you got to wait for the dice to come around that's a big bummer you know that's a huge time eater and so we had to address that how we how do we get around that um sometimes you got a stick man that's not too cooperative you know he's like stand, he sits like this while you're throwing and you and you're standing right next to him or he's got the stick in the way or some something weird that is hindering your ability to throw that doesn't exist when you're at home and there's not even a stick guy standing there so you know, all these things we had to uh, to figure out. But, you know, as we were more motivated to play, in other words, we're playing for big and money, we figured these things out, you know, how to, how, to, how to get tables to ourselves, how to get their limits raised, and, you know, how to deal with the help, which is basically all you do is tip them and they cooperate. <laughs> now, did you pay for lessons or go to seminars or did you teach yourself? Okay. So that was a question last time that we asked and we kind of veered off and I never really fully answered it. And I think it deserves a, a good answer. Okay. I absolutely paid to go to three or maybe four different guys, groups, entities that were, had been doing this for years. I wanted to see if they knew anything that we were missing. And also, you were already quite experienced when uh, you went to somewhat, these. not the first one, not so much. Okay, it was a local guy. I believe that was the guy's name was Bo Parker. That was the first guy I went to, and I wasn't all that experienced. Yeah, we were we were just learning. This was all very foreign. So um, I eventually went to three or four of those types, and in addition, we had one of the guys, the TV guy, the Dominator, come to the Dice House for a lesson. Now I wasn't in. You know, you had to pay that dude a decent amount, and I wasn't up to pay. We were at the point now where I was sure that I was not going to pay this guy. Because I, I was sure he was full of crap. and um, But the other guys wanted him. So they paid for him. And I said, fine, you come over. And um, so in total, it was I think it was five different guys or things that either I or my partners paid for. And I'll tell you, the first time you walk into one of these places, 
that are holding one of these seminars. I, 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 I would imagine that's what it's like to walk into a place like a flat earth meeting, you know. I mean, the delusion is just so high and they are just so ready to believe everything that these guys are telling. They want it to be true, you know, they, and, and uh, uh, so right away you just get this weird vibe as, you know, these, these are the fringe people. These guys are kind of kooky, you know, um, but approach it with an open mind. See if there's anything there to learn. Um, and in, in addition, at, by, by the time I went to the second guy, I, I had it in the back of my mind that this – if this didn't work out, I was going to write about it, either in articles or a book. And if I'm going to r- criticize somebody strongly, you know, it should be firsthand um, empirical in, you know, experience with them. I shouldn't just say, I heard this guy, he's probably this, speculate that. So I want to see if they were, how full of it that they were. And they were full of it quite a bit. Um, when you got in there, right away what they would do is they would – give you like a brief synopsis, like 10-minute explanation, and then they'd get the people shooting and, and rotating in, and you could see right away, you know, how delusional these people were, uh, but they're believing the instructor. He's telling them, okay, this is what you got to do, and what we're trying to make happen here, what we're trying to accomplish is, you know, you're going to make these these numbers, say eights and tens or whatever. And, you know, somebody real early on would throw the dice, and it would come up hard eight. And the instructor would go, there you go. That's it. That was a good throw. But if it, you know, you know, and you walk in, one dice is up here, one's down. It, it, it wasn't, it, that guy threw an eight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and contrary to that, if, uh, if he, we threw a bad one, a seven, well, now he detected something you did wrong. And he's going to help you correct that fly. I mean, it was such a load of crap. Um, and, and that was just the theme of the thing. Keep with this positive this fake positive reinforcement, pumping them with it, and then everything can be addressed because I can fix all. And um, by the end of each and every one of these seminars ended uh, the same way. A couple specific things happened. One was that there was an offer, and sometimes it was a scheduled thing, where you were going to go to the casino with the guy, with the expert or the experts. And you were going to shoot, and they were going to shoot. And you could... If you wanted, they would shoot for you with your money. <laughs> and if they won, but here's you know here's where it gets really good for the player. If you won, you got to keep half of the winnings. <laughs> if you lost, of course, you know that's that's on you. <laughs> so I mean, so so they had this little free roll thing going, which was incredibly strong. Um, in addition to uh, what they said before they left the casino was how they explained the whole betting strategy. And that's where it all started. You know, you all you start to realize this is full. This is just a dressed up betting strategy. And here's the excuse for using the betting strategy is this throwing the dice. But they all, every single one of them had a betting strategy, which was something, you know, some kind of pro- progression, regression, uh, all based on previous results not on your perceived edge. And then, like, when I asked the question, you know, well, don't, you know, wouldn't you just want to bet on the things that you have the biggest edge or you have an edge on? And, you know, and they looked at me like I was crazy. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, well, what if you lost the last two, th- you know, yeah, and, I mean, it absolutely was, everything was centered around the betting strategy and they were all designed to, well, you know how they work. They rearrange, they don't change your eventual bottom line expectation but they do rearrange your results from just you know if you bet the same amount it goes you know you win you lose you but if you if you do their progressions you win a lot of the time a little bit and every now and then you get your head cut off you know so this serves these guys really well when they go out to play for you for 50 percent you know they're going to employ this betting strategy they're probably going to win something you know you know they might get they might you know this might be the one time in however many that you're supposed to get creamed. Yeah, you know, you're just supposed to, you know, you lose eight eight sequences or whatever they call it. Um, but yeah, it was all very, uh, you know. At first, I thought, man, these guys are kind of at least sincere in that they believe what they're doing. But as soon as they started in with the betting strategy and how that was an integral part of this thing, and you can't you can't operate without it, I knew that you know somewhere in there they realize they're full of it, and this is their way of kind of. Uh, making sure that the player 
not only comes out ahead more times than not so that they get good reviews and uh, good feedback, but so that it, you know, it settles in their head that, that they're doing something right. And every now and then they just get wildly unlucky. I would think the other thing that, um, because I would hear about these groups going out, yeah. you know, after the classes and things. And if you have eight guys in the group and they all shoot, well, one of them might hold the dice for some time, right? And right. so suddenly that becomes proof that see how good he did, you know? Right. <laughs> the class is great. Oh, sure. Tons of confirmation bias going on. Tons of selective memory stuff going on. And, you know, and like I said at the beginning, these guys, these people that attend this, they want to believe. So, I mean, they, 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 they get sucked into it. And, uh, you know, so at, at that point, that's when we said, well, we're going to do this. <laughs> There's not going to be anything the way these guys do, but we are taking from them whatever it is that we can uh, uh, that's of value, which wasn't a whole lot other than to understand how they operate, you know, and what maybe we don't want to do. Did they all use the same grip, or does each one have its own grip? They had very similar grips, and they had um, one of two. There's one of two sets they would advocate, and they would tell you what you know. One was called the Hardway set, and I believe the other one is three V, um, and it's just a, a transpo- transposition of the Hardways, um, but it's all designed to keep basically the two, three, four, five on axis. You know, I, they, they were they were similar enough, but if you put them like if I plugged in into my program, we used the hard ways. We always used the same set. The, the, the one color die was here. This was there. Everything was always the same for every all three of the shooters. Um, but if we that we had a, a routine in the program that you could say transpose the dice and just tell it how what would have happened if we'd have set it this way, and then it would run all the calculations again. Okay, this is this is your new result set, and um, it turns out that the hard ways was much better for us. You know. Um, than the 3V. Uh, you know, maybe the 3V had certain uh, peaks, you know, certain things that were really good about it, but it was countered by things. Where it, there was nothing, you know, I, I guess I guess I should transpose it and see, uh, you know, what the, what the commonality thing was. But we were sold on the hardware set, so that's what we did. So I um, at some point you guys got a high-speed camera to videotape the dice landing, right? Right. And what happened then? I mean, Wong mentioned that that was sort of what convinced him he had been wrong all along, that he had no edge. Right. Okay. So we first saw a video that someone else shot, and we were already a couple months into this and had a decent sample size. So we saw this video, and we go, wow, look at that. That looks pretty depressing. You know, you look at it like, and, and it just is just chaos once they strike the table. And we're going, okay. Now, had we seen this at the on the onset before we started, I would have had. I probably would have just. I'm almost certain that all of us would have said that eh, this is not worth pursuing. Look at that, you know. Um, but that wasn't the case. The video that you were seeing was this supposedly a good shooter that had an edge or was it a random that i don't player? know i i think it was somebody who was attempting to do it i don't know how good they were but it was somebody attempting to throw the dice get them down there in a synchronized manner and then look what happens they just go crazy um but some tables don't bounce as high as other that's tables. true and do you have any idea when you saw this video whether this was a bouncy table and i would expect this to be on a bouncy table but if it was on a non-bouncy table do you, do you know or i don't just... know what that one was all of those we tried to we we tried to videotape ours but ours our cameras we didn't have as high quality a camera as they had that could slow it down to that degree um and so mostly what we were looking at was that one and then we end up getting other ones from other people other people start shooting their dice you know the videos of their dice and you would look at it and you go wow and, and like i said had we seen this at the beginning we probably wouldn't even have gotten involved. But we didn't see it at the beginning. We saw it, you know, five figures worth of rolls in with a sample size that suggested something was going on. So what do you do? You say, wait, okay, on one hand, I'm using my eyes to, to observe this, and I'm using my brain to process this information. How capable, I mean, it's not exactly a, compu- a camera and a computer dissecting this thing. It's just, you know, with the naked, it basically it's with the naked eye. And, you know... It, 
and, and I've read some of the articles written by respected gambling guys that say this is you know it's a stupid endeavor you can't do it you just take a look at it um well it, i i do believe i learned something during this process um that there's a whole lot of that's a, there's quite a bit of human arrogance there to think well i could just tell by looking at it that it's not possible you know i mean great to give you know human hubris <laughs> I was like, wow man I, I, I can't figure it out it must not be possible you know and like i said using your brain processing you know to process all this information it's just not up to the task so we well said, also the numbers don't lie right, right so if right. you had well, ten thousand rolls and it identified that you had an edge then right you know. in this confined restricted and pristine right. environment it appears that something's going on here. So we're like, what do we do? It does, I mean, that looks like a mess on one hand, but the, the data says that there's something going on. So we did continue, you know. Uh, but, it, the, you know, it was depressing to see because I was hoping to see something a, a little bit different than that. It's like, oh, see, look how they kind of, you can tell they're standing. And it, it, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deconstruct it with just my eyes. And you were never on. able to photograph your own or you your little team's role yes but, but well it, it wasn't to, slow enough yeah to yeah. make to, to to actually to even look at look at it the way we were looking at these other ones that were had these really good cameras evidently and we're slowing it way down yeah you know we just didn't uh, but like i said we had the data and we said okay well we're gonna keep going with this and keep an eye on things and see if you know if this just gets stronger, the strength gets strength, you know, strengthens because of the additional data, you know, that we keep adding, or if something starts to disintegrate. And if it had started to disintegrate, we probably would have bailed. We said, okay, see, we, were, you know, even though there's only a five percent chance that this is by accident, maybe that's the five percent that came in because this is is going the other direction now. But that's not what happened. Very good. We're going to continue talking dice and other things with Frank right after a few commercial announcements. The South Point has more than 10,000 games, returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. Mondays through Thursdays in June, 3 a.m. to 3 a.m., there's a $500,000 spin-to-win promotion. For each $2,000 coin-in, limit four per person per day, you receive a virtual spin right at your machine, earning free play or points. In past years, the average spin was about $12, meaning you earn an extra $48 each day for the $8,000 coin in four days a week. As we tape this, I have had eight rolls of eight spins, and so far it's averaging about $9. It's way too small a sample to know you get one for $25 or $50, and it really shoots the average way up. So I sticking with the average from the past but as we get more spins uh we'll f get better information if you leave your email address with the south point then a couple times a year they send out twenty dollars every weekend for a month so if you're ever in town on a weekend you can pick that up if that's a particular month. So it's always a good idea to let them have your email address if you ever going to be in town on the weekends. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com. And if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. At videopoker.com, it's the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is split card poker. This is a 10 coins per hand game where periodically on the deal or the draw, not both, you receive a split card. A split card may be any card. Once the split card is chosen randomly, the additional card will be with equal probability the same card, 
the card lower or the card higher. For example, if the Ace of Clubs is a spit card, it's equally likely to become the Ace King of Clubs, the Ace Deuce of Clubs, or the Two Aces of Clubs. The only pay schedule difference, in addition, is five of a kind on non-wild card games and five deuces on deuces wild variations. All right, we're back with Frank B. Uh, so if you decide to go play in the casino anyway, you're going to try this. Uh, what did you learn that you can pass on to people about do's and don'ts of playing advantage craps in the casino? Well, in the casino, okay, uh, so it's there's a lot of corollaries to playing blackjack, or at least that's what experienced blackjack guys uh, will be comparing it to. And, you know, the first and most obvious thing is that you are obvious. You know, when you're playing blackjack, um, all the work is being done in your head. And they can't see that. You know, you can't see the gears moving. But when you go to shoot craps uh, in this manner, um, it's, it's very obvious what you're – I mean, it's, it's clear what you're doing. It's not possible to hide what you're doing. I know – I remember Stanford saying, well, you've got to have more of a nonchalant throw. And that – is basically contrary to um, what I uh, had settled on was the right way to approach it when it came to training and stuff. Is now you can't just sometimes do this, pick them up and flick it. You have to be very mechanical. You got to get to the point where it becomes second nature, where you actually. I mean, usually this is thing with more of an athletic uh, vein to it, but you got to get some muscle memory ingrained. And when you do that, involved with that is an entire routine. Uh, it's not just, you know, uh, the, the, the throw at the arm. Um, uh, what's a good way to... Okay, the best, the best comparison that I've ever been able to come up with to this is there's a lot of um, similarities between guys who throw darts, okay? You know, it's a very fine-tuned thing. But also, um, shooting free throws in basketball... That was what I was it, thinking. It really is. Um, and I, what I'm talking about is the whole... If you watch a good free throw shooter in the NBA, a good one, you can tell that he's he's well thought out and, you know, he's able to get lost in his routine. You watch Kawhi Leonard. I, I actually saw a video of him not too long ago where he had gone back, I believe, to San Antonio and they were boo they were going crazy trying to distract him at the line with the cheese doodles and stuff making noise and even you know stuff and he was he was in a zone he'd get to the line and if you watch him he does the same thing every time he gets to the line he squares up three dribbles looks at the rim and then he does something that i learned was very important and i actually learned it from watching bas basketball guys shoot free throws the breathing they all, all good free throw shooters, and I think dart players do this, and even guys who shoot pool at a high level, they use what they call the respiratory pause. To, they take advantage of it. And this is, snipers do this too. They t so when you're breathing, you know, in a very slow and measured way, at the bottom of your exhale is when you're the most still. Your body is the most still. And that's when they do it. They throw the dart. They shoot the cue. They shoot the free throw or they pull the trigger, and that's when you want to throw the dice. We I end up that end up becoming, you know, as much a routine as the throw itself. It's you had to get yourself squared, grab the dice the same way, thing, breathe, shoot, and that resulted in, I believe, much more consistent accuracy and ability to replicate the throw over and over again. And I think this is the most important thing. Before you get into the casino, you have to develop this second nature throw, this mechanical throw. We've talked about it before. And you'll know when you get there. It's almost like when you're counting, when you first start out counting cards, you're counting and then you can get distracted. But there comes a point where you go, wait a minute, I'm doing this automatically now. You know what I mean? I can't look at a card table anymore without doing it. You know, And that's sort of like the point you want to get to. And um, I have a funny story regarding this, and it's, it involves, I think we talked about the professor before, and I saw him this week, he goes, you better tell that story, because we still differ a little bit on our opinion of what happened. So we're, 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 we're good friends, and sometimes we would travel together, and, and on this uh, particular time, I was just visiting him in Maryland. 
So I'm at a, we're at his house, and this is during this period where we're doing the dice, and he's doing it, but he's doing it in the box, you know, with one of those cutout boxes, and he wants to see me throw. I'm like, okay, okay, we could do it. He goes, I got set up in the garage, so um, we go out to the garage, and he, you know, he's very uh, meticulous, so he's got it measured out perfectly. I go, oh, this is all right. He goes, yep, it's all right. I go, okay. So I take the dice. I go, okay, and I just go through my thing. I throw them. It, they whiff the box entirely to the right by like six <laughs> inches. I missed the entire thing. I'm like, okay, so now he's already smirking. And I'm going, what is – I go, all right, give me those things again. So now I go, okay, just relax. Just go through your routine. Uh, and, and now I throw a second time. Exact same thing. Whiff the box to the right to almost the exact same spot. Now he's going, okay, I, I, I've seen enough. Let's go because we're, we're on our way to the pool. He goes, I go, what, give me him one more time. So I go, okay, I'm shaking my head, but I go, okay, this is, everything's cool, all right? Throw the dice, same thing. Maybe a little closer, but I missed the whole rig. And he goes, all right, we're done, we're going. So we start to exit his garage and walk, he has a long driveway. I go, um, Steve, not for nothing, but you know your driveway has a pretty significant slope to it? He goes, yeah. I go, and it leads into the garage, which also has a slope? He goes, yeah, so? I go, well... Imagine that at home I had a dice-throwing contraption, and I set it on the table, and I lined it up and calibrated so it would make the throw that I want, and then I picked that thing up and brought it into your garage and set it down on your slanted floor. You see how it's slanted? Where would the dice go? And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. So now, now, now you're the Terminator. You know, you can't. But that is what I mean by muscle memory and thing. I, I wasn't doing anything other than going through my routine, and I couldn't hit the box because I'm standing at an I'm, I'm standing on an angle. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. That is exactly what would happen if you brought a device and set it there. It would go off to the right. So, you know, that's the um, – that's the level that you want to get yourself to. I, you know, it's just an example of, of what happens when you develop this muscle memory. That's, the, that's I think, where you want to get yourself uh, before you start going into, in, into the casino. And then you have to comply with all the criteria that you've established in your house. You have to stand where you stand, the same length table, all that stuff, and then everything should fall into place. Now, I know guys who think I'm way too rigid with this stuff. So you should be able to, if you can't get your spot, you should be able to move back one. I'm like, I can't. I, I, my dice are going to come up short every time. So it is, it, I would say it's, if you train properly, it'd be a positive, but a lot of guys looked at it as a big negative. Oh, so you can only do the, your, you can only throw from this certain spot on this certain length table, and that's it, you know. And, and that was a turnoff for a lot of guys, too. I've heard people talking about putting a dime on the table, being able to hit a dime with the, you know, every time. With yeah, the... we had different uh, practice things. Um, remember the old slot cups that were about this tall? I'm, I'm holding yeah. my hands up about eight, 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 nine, eight inches. We would set that at the proper spot on the table because this also allowed you to work on the arc, which was a real important aspect of the thing. You didn't want to throw a line drive. You wanted to have this sort of arcy, ploppy kind of throw that, sort of, you know, just feels like it sort of fell off a table by the time it gets down there. It's real difficult to do. Um, but that, we, yeah, we trained with that. Uh, you know, things like that, similar to what you're saying. I saw guys with other different contraptions, too, to, to throw, like, you get a, like a little hurdle that they got to get over. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on where you were, um, I'll tell you what, we had a guy come into the house once, and he had the best throw that trajectory wise i go wow man that's that's exactly what i envisioned a, a, like pretty much a perfect throw looks like you know the, the the arc and the and i go but how am i going to do that now i'm so deep into this and you know thank goodness that <laughs> the dude looked he did look a little goofy when he threw it so he had this throw but it was more wrist than more than you know, he had a floppy. I don't know how to say it. He had, he looked a little flamboyant when he did it. Okay, <laughs> and I'm going. Well, if that's does that the way that I you have to accomplish that, and you have to change your throw, which means you might have to you might have to start your whole data set over. You're going to definitely have to partition it right there and say, is this changing things dramatically? And if so, so do I really want to start over? In in addition to do I really want to go into a casino throwing a dice like Liberace? You know, I, I go, this is just too much um, 
going on right now. I'm too deep into this to make a change like that. But, you know, that guy, and by the way, that's not a guy that I've ever mentioned. It's not, you know, Captain Jack or Professor. It's those guys throw the dice like real men, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this guy. But, you know, he, I, he looked goofy. I'd be but happy he to throw like Liberace <laughs> if I thought I could actually make money doing it. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, like I said, I was too far gone with the way I was doing it. I, I, I couldn't make a change like that, but. I kind of got you off topic. You were talking about how obvious it is to the casino what right. you're doing. So, so, so to get back to that, you, 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 it's obvious what you're doing. And not only that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to end up gravitating to the same table over and over again. And uh, so, what, so they will figure out what you're doing. It, even if they don't. I mean, oh, no, they will figure out what you're doing. But here's the thing. When you get backed up at Blackjack, it's because they've done something. You know, they went upstairs and they ran the shoe back. And they go, okay, this, his, his betting correlates to um, this. Or th- this is what triggers him to do a bet. And if they can't figure it out, then they start thinking of more nefarious things you might be doing. But they make a connection. This, there is no connection. The only connection that, well, when you take a look at the guy, well, he looks pretty good. He looks like, you know, he's lived in his basement for six months or something. <laughs> but that's about, that's where it begins and ends. The only thing they have to go on is your results, which is what they end up doing. They always oh, doing real good. Um, do we have to worry about this? And all the backoffs that I got occurred at places I was doing well. There were other places I would go to, they'd laugh at me. They were just giggling, you know. You 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 go. You establish a point. You seven out. They go, <laughs> you know, okay, next shooter. <laughs> and uh, so until you start winning, right? Until then you start, suddenly, right? They forget all the losing you did. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, their countermeasures were based on nothing that they could establish as being true. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't have figured it out. They just say, okay, he's doing this. It looks like he's practiced. And he's winning. And that's that's pretty much where it ended. You know, the other thing you could do is that, that causes a problem is you interfere with the operation of the game. In other words, you know, maybe you take too much time to throw the dice. Some guys took a real long time to throw the dice that I observed. Or, you know, you always got to stand uh, in your position. Some guys get interfered with by the, with the guy in the stick. Um, you know, and, you know, if you're a pain in any way, then it's a problem. Um I've certainly heard, you know, uh, bosses say you got to pick the dice up and throw them. Right. You can't spend right a minute. Sit there. You look like you, one, you look like one of those pitchers that they complain about that takes too long on the mound, or like Mike Hargo with the plate that you know used to call him the human rain delay. He'd get up to the plate, but before he stepped in the box, he'd do this whole song and dance of, you know, idiosyncratic uh, motions that he had to do before every before every pitch. They called him the human rain delay. Well, you know, another thing that I've talked about before in the air is um, bosses are superstitious, right? So in blackjack, it used to happen all the time where somebody's winning, they would say, change the way you shuffle the cards or change the cards altogether, right? And in blackjack, it doesn't matter. But if you're playing well, another game... it can game, matter if there's edge sorting or something. Yes, uh, but... Uh, but if you're playing a game like dice or roulette, things they do that are just superstition right. can totally mess you up, right? They could change the dice and change the size of the dice, right? Yeah, I don't think they different... would change the dice, but they do mess with like give them different dice. And some people, like I'm not, I don't care what dice they give me, but some guys, you know, that aren't like some of these uh, seminar type guys, oh, they they would blow a gasket if you change the dice on them. Why are you trying? You're trying to mess me up. It's like, dude, it's a, you, you know, it's a well, dice. Yeah, or if it bounced off the table, they want that same die back. You know, I mean, all kinds of superstitions. In roulette, stuff. they have different size balls, right? So if they change the ball, it can make a major difference. And uh, it, there are different size dice, but maybe in a yeah, casino, but, they they only keep one size. Right, house to house is is you might find a difference house to house, but not within the same house. Right, but they can start doing things like telling you you have to throw faster, both dice have to hit the wall, and, you know. Yeah, that, well, that, that's another big countermeasure. The big countermeasure is, you know, when they, when they get to the point where they threaten you with, listen, you have to hit the wall every time. If you miss the wall with either, you know, what you just want, you're done. And that was probably the most common threat. Wait, you're done? or You're done shooting a- dice. No more dice throwing for you. If you don't hit the wall every time and you miss the wall, trust me, you you missed it by accident. If you throw them down there and the dice just bounce funny or hit chips or something, you know, it, it, they don't always hit the wall. And that applies to everybody, you know. So it's inevitable that you were going to get told that you can't play 
if they put that, you know, a requirement on you. So, and, you know, and, and it was just little things. Sometimes a stick guy would screw with you, you know, he'd leave How a stick. How would a stick guy screw with you? Well, if you're standing left to him, like most of the right-handed shooters would stand, he might stand like with his hands like Superman, like his hands on hips. And, you know, he'd sort of be almost bumping into you to begin with. And you can't get squared up at the at the table. Or he might do something with the stick itself that's in the way he would either lay it down or he'd hold it. Like, so it's basically right where you're trying to throw it, you know, he's got the stick right up in the air like that. Just all kinds of little nitty things that are easily remedied by tipping the dealers. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the big thing is you can't hide what you're doing, and once you get backed off, you're not sneaking back in. To, it's like there, oh, there he is. What he didn't didn't I tell you last week? You can't do this anymore. Well, also, pretty much, don't all dice throwers look the same? I mean, dice controllers look the same. I mean, their yeah. throw is all basically the same, and they're right. all standing right next to. No, not all of them. You see a yeah. lot of guys. They like to stand at the very far end of the table and throw that longest distance because they feel it's straight no no contorting the body they have always there's there's listen there's philosophies about shooting from all different positions i i, I you know my my theory is hey my shortest line you know the, the least amount of distance traveled you know and standing right uh, the least amount of energy right. on the dice when they land right right if but i what i said like, like a lot of this stuff that comes out of these um these guys that are taught in lessons a lot of it doesn't make any sense interesting that you chose basketball free throw shooting because when Kawhi Leonard's at the free throw line he can't disguise what he's doing either no but but it's you know it, it, uh, you know some that, people that say it's supposed it, to be a good line sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah but some people do think I mean you get really you know aren't you going a bit overboard with this stuff but if you you know I, we wanted to reproach this in the most AP type way which is to develop a basic strategy that that we could apply and if anybody else was going to enter the group you say listen this is what we've figured out to this point and this is how you do it and in fact part of the whole point of these two episodes um would also apply to anybody new coming this is what we've learned to this point don't make these mistakes okay like don't go changing your throw after five thousand throws figure out what you want to accomplish when you're there by gathering information or just you know getting it from a reliable source and make sure that it makes sense and go from there because this is not a thing. Like you can obviously tell, this is a super labor-intensive endeavor. You know that's not for everybody. I mean, it's super time-consuming. So you don't want to start out where with bad habits that you have to correct because those are difficult to correct if you get them ingrained muscle memory-wise. Tr tr try to unlearn that. That's not an easy thing to do. So that's what we would have stressed to anybody that was entering the group. So did you? Um, I mean, it sounds like you got pulled up pretty quickly in Vegas. Did you try going out into middle America and were they dumber about it? And well, more they, it's funny the countermeasures that uh, occurred in other locations because you would say, well, this is probably something new to them. I remember being in, I get the places confused. It was either Costa Rica or it was one of the islands. And they real quickly insisted that I throw the dice underhand. <laughs> they say no you gotta throw them underhand you know i said okay <laughs> so that that i'm done with that but then it actually made me think about it. is underhand if you could get that throw down is that a better way to do it because it almost more mimics that softball into the peach basket thing you know i i, I didn't you know but at least gave me a, a moment to think about it and uh we did, went on cruise ships to do it and some didn't like it um they also had, you know, I think this is for a different type of dice play, but they would have like a big thick string or rope down two sections of the table. I guess that's for scooting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we, we tried some different locations with uh, definitely mixed results and uh, mixed reactions from the pit. But the, th the, th the thing with the underhand was the first time they told <laughs> that we ever encountered someone to say they tried to actually tell you how to throw the dice. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we tried it at other places, but it was... 90% was Vegas. You know, it was just so many options. Plus, we had located the handful of good tables that we wanted to concentrate on. All right. So we finished with our dice situation. I'm going to throw one question from another life of yours. You, most years, you come on and talk about prop bets on the Super Bowl. 
The most interesting prop bet right now around Las Vegas revolves around Tim Tebow, where who is hasn't played for years and now is trying to become a tight end for the uh, Jaguars. So the prop bet is at stations is will he score two and a half or more touchdowns during the year? The early money is all on the no, the under, under two and a half. But a key part of it, which I don't think people are taking into consideration, is if he's not on the opening day roster, all bets are returned to you. Hmm. So to me, it seems like if he makes the roster, he should be a favorite to go over two and a half. So to me, it seems two and a half, over two and a half is a smarter bet. What do you think? So, so is his two and a half touchdowns? Is that just him to score them, or him to con- like? Could he throw a touchdown pass? Would that count? Mm, don't know. Oh, well, that's a big deal. Is that for the whole season or yes. for one game? It's no. got to be for the whole season. Yeah, it's got to be the whole season. Yeah, but if he, you know, it, okay, so that would be one thing. I haven't. I've heard of. I've heard briefly somebody saying that there was that type of bet out there. Um, <clears throat> listen, if it's passing touchdowns, also that certainly changes things. You know, from the way you look at it. But, okay, so the intention is with Tebow, it seems, is they're going to make him a Taysom Hill-type guy who's going to get in the game at a variety of positions, and you never know, is he going to throw the ball? Is he going to run the ball? Is he maybe going to catch the ball, just like Taysom Hill? Um, Certainly, if you say, if he makes the roster, then the intention is to get him in there. But I'm not so sure, you know, if he goes through training camp and he's taking lots of reps – and he's playing in, uh, I don't even know what the exhibition season looks like, but if, you know, if, if they've gotten used to him um, participating and they know what they can get out of him, he could actually start the season on the roster. And they, and, but even though the, the Taysom Hill project thing, maybe if they consider it failed, but just to have him as a backup for the moment until they find somebody more suitable to backup if they need him for that, perhaps, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I would have to side with you. If he gets on the roster and he's on the opening day roster, it, what, did you know what the price was? You get plus money going over? Yeah, because it's minus 165 if you oh, take so the you under. About plus 35 or something going over. Yeah, well, two and a half, huh? I think they expected people to bet yes on that, didn't they? Well, apparently there's equal number of bets on both sides, but the big bets are on. They're limiting the... The under to two thousand dollars, and they're taking what two thousand dollars? Where where is it? Circa? Stations. Oh, there's the stations taking two thousand on that prop. Yes, on the under. Apparently, <laughs> okay. on the over, you can probably. Well, there's take another more. prop I think you can win. I don't think you get two thousand on there, but okay. Why would they take two th- more than they take on a Super Bowl prop on that? Uh, maybe because it's a future bet, and they, and they like to lock up the money. But, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go check that out. But I, w- I would tend to side with you that if he makes the roster, there's got to be some value there. But right there, it, it, during leading up to the days when they announce the roster, if it looks like he's making it, then you got to go make you go make that bet. Because as soon as he's, it's defined that he is part of the roster, that that's going to get hit. Well, also, I, I you make a really good point about w- you need to find out whether passing touchdowns count. Yeah. Because – you know, that, that could easily happen, right? With sure. some kind of option play or whatever. Sure. And, I mean, Taysom Hill throws touchdown passes. He runs. He catches. For, he does all three. Yeah. You know. All right. Um, at the end of our show, we have a recommended section. Richard, what do you got for our listeners today? Oh, I got nothing. I'm, I'm uh, listening to you guys today. Well, I recently saw a movie that's a little over 20 years old called Croupier. And the main character, Jack Manfred, is an aspiring writer going nowhere fast, takes a job in a casino, screws up his relationship, uh, funny business is going on. It's it's interesting. Uh, lots of things happen, and I enjoyed the movie. And since our audience likes uh, casinos, I think you'll like it too. Is that Clive Owen? Is that the yes. one? Yeah. yeah. I, th- I saw that. That's one of the last movies I've ever seen in a theater. I stopped going to the theater, so it's got to be 15, 20 years old. Yeah, a little older than that. It came out in 1998. Wow. So, uh, Frank, do you have a recommended for us? Um, yeah, well, you know, you had asked before we started if I had one, and I didn't. So I went into uh, – uh, we're at the LVA office right now, so I went in and talked to uh, Anthony Curtis, and uh, we have – 
a, a bar that we went to over the course of the last week. And um, I think it's a, it's a pretty good deal. It's, it's good enough that he put it in his top 10 now in the newsletter. And it's a place called Jake's. It is on Sahara and Eastern. It's a real old place. Um, it's been there ever since I can remember. So it's like an old, you know, old school type bar. Uh, the crowd in there is, you know, like you like, is like a neighborhood saloon type thing. It's not high end microbrewery or anything like that. But they have everything you would need in a Vegas bar. They have uh, standard, I would say, video poker to play. They're very, which means ninety seven percent. Yeah, sick. right. And you know, a variety of things. Of course, the, you know, half the people there play Kino, which is what these bar people play. Um, and they have, uh, uh, they're they're okay with comping the drinks. At, at, at you know, they don't argue with you about what you order, so that's good. Some places these days, post COVID, they really are tightening up when it comes to the drinks. You know, they want to see what you, not only how much you put in, but what you play. They've sort of caught on to the people that stick a twenty in play one coin and, you know, want to drink Cavassier. <laughs> but this place is cool. And um, But what's attractive about it is they have a, a, a menu. The only food that they serve, other than this $12 steak special that I'm sure Curtis will write about, is this long list, a $2 menu. Everything is 2 bucks. There's They have the tacos. They have ravioli. They have uh, uh some kind of sausage and bean. What else? A shrimp cocktail a thing. It's a it's a long list, and you could you'll certainly be able to find something on there, um, no matter you know what type of eater you are, what kind of restrictions you're on. Um, but two dollars, you know, so you order this, that, you mean you order three things for six bucks, and you, and you're you know it's a it's a real good deal. And like I said, he's putting um, the place in general in the top ten somewhere um, this month, uh, based on not only the real good steak dinner they have, but this. $2, uh, everything else on the menu, $2 thing. And uh, it was a good time. We, we were able to watch a game there, which is usually objective when we go to these bars. You know, go have a drink, sit down, watch a game in peace instead of these sports books, you know. So, yeah, good spot. Jake's on Sahara and Eastern. Now, equally as good as for recommended is a, is a non-recommended. Before the show started, you were telling us that you went to – a place where the old El Dorado used to be in downtown Henderson. And this is a place you don't recommend. Can you say? Well, not so much. We were disappointed when we went there. Okay, so the El Dorado on Water Street in Henderson is um, now called The Pass. And it's owned by, I believe, Railroad Pass. That's why it's called The Pass. So I'm not sure if the card's the same, but the promotion seemed the same. We, we went there yesterday on nine times points just to go for the first time, check it out, and hopefully play what was reported uh, as 8-5 uh, bonus poker available. And I believe the card added one point, uh, over 1%. It was what the card added. So you were playing, you were playing with a win, and then you were free-rolling whatever you got on the back end, including getting – you know, one percent better than one percent cash back. Um, uh, when you have nine prize points, yeah. When you have nine times that day, yeah. And they have a they have rotating days where sometimes it's just reels and sometimes. But if you check the calendar there, they have um, at least two days a week where they give five points or something like that. But you know, it, it was it was was very typical of these casinos that you go in post COVID. It's Half the stuff was shut down. You know, we went there. We said we're going to eat the Italian restaurant a afterwards. Oh, that's not open. You know, we just have the, the coffee shop right now. And, you know, the machines were outside of these three machines that we found that did have the 8-5 bonus poker. Everything was really bad. There were, you know, um, all the thing. One good thing that was a surprising walk, and it has a circus sports book. I didn't know they were down there. And, uh, uh, you know, they stay open decent hours, so it does have a good sports book down there. But, you know... As, as as much of a disappointment as it was, you know, from what we expected to go in there, that downtown Water Street area, I hadn't been there in a few years. It's pretty nice now. I mean, it's got a lot of eateries and bars along the strip where it used to be just the Rainbow, uh, the uh, Emerald, whatever they call it, and El Dorado. Yeah. But there's a lot more to do down there. You know, there's at least three times as many decent places you can walk in and eat and drink, and some of them play video poker. Um, they're doing entertainment stuff outdoors yeah, there, too. And it looks nicer, summer. too. It looks yeah. like they spent money and they worked on it, and it's like a, a little, you know, district-type place for downtown Henderson. It's it's a cool place to check out just to go down to Water Street. I'm just saying, you know, 
the the pass was a disappointment to us based on what we were there to try to do. Very good. Thank you, Frank. You got it. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.